is Shandy Chernow, and you're listening to the Shandyland Podcast. I have a super interesting guest for us today, living abroad in Germany, all fancy and stuff. Her name is Courtney Kwong-Hing. She's the founder of Zestful, an online magazine, which, by the way, is spectacularly gorgeous, and the host of the Itch Podcast. Courtney, thank you so much for being here. You and I have this whole adult food allergy thing in common. Love having adults with food allergies. You know, people are so attached to food allergies being a kid thing. And sorry in advance, everybody, for my dog making funny noises today, but it's just going to happen. Tell me your allergy story, because it's so similar to mine, and I really appreciate that about you. I think you're amazing. How did it lead you to be such a great online presence and, you know, really a shift in your career towards food allergy things? Yeah, so I I always like to say I only know life with food allergies. And first of all, thank you for inviting me to Shandyland. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> now we can jump into my allergy story. There we go. Um. Yeah, so I was diagnosed with a peanut allergy uh, at four months old. So we really just entered the world with allergies. And then I developed multiple allergies throughout my life. I have some allergies in the top nine. I'm saying nine now. And some right? not in Although the top in nine. Europe, you get 14, right? We do. We have 14. And apparently, there's a couple more potentially coming. One day we'll get all of them, are. you know? Well, if we get everything, then I wonder who would be like the top 112. Maybe one day we'll just be food allergies. Yeah, exactly. And then they'll all get treated evenly. Yes. Because I know you have a sunflower allergy and so do I. And that one is a beast. Super irritating. But yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. So allergy story, four months old, peanuts. Yeah. And then um, I've developed multiple allergies since. I have oral allergy syndrome, which kind of makes everything a little bit gray for a lot of people. And I personally avoid all of, well, I eat a few things cooked, but otherwise I avoid all of my OAS foods just because the symptoms I get from OAS remind me too much of an allergic reaction. And it's just something I would rather not live with. And I don't feel like I'm missing out really. I'll have some applesauce once in a while, but otherwise I would really not expect I would rather not experience that itchy kind of hivey mouse where I feel like something worse might happen very soon and I just can't relax with that. So I never understood people who ate OAS foods. Yeah, totally. Uh, and I also, uh, yeah, so, and I have um, eczema and I have asthma. So I'm a bit of an atopic, atopic triad. Uh, yeah, that's my allergies in a nutshell, I guess. Yeah. I am. Um, uh, because I live with so many food allergies and because I have experienced a few anaphylactic reactions in my lifetime, it really shaped the way I moved around the world. And I think my food allergy advocate journey started when I moved to Germany and I was feeling a little bit alone. Not only could I not speak the language at that time, I had been completely uprooted. I mean, I decided to move to Germany, (laughs) but it was a situation I wasn't prepared for. I didn't realize I would have such a strong culture shock. And here people don't know food allergy as well as they do in, say, the UK, where I was living before that, or where I come from, Canada or the US. So I felt like I was completely alone on uh, managing my allergies. I was completely alone. 
figuring out what was going on in Germany as a Canadian expat. I felt very alone until I met a bunch of other expats and apparently we all feel exactly the same way. But they didn't have food allergies, so they weren't feeling that one side. And I I kind of wanted to crawl up into a little ball because of the culture shock. And I used my food allergies as an excuse not to go out. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm using them as a crutch. It's not okay. I wonder if other adults who have food allergies also use their food allergies in this way. And also, how are they feeling about living with food allergies? Because this is really hard. Like, no one told me that social life with food allergies as an adult was going to be really hard. Yeah. You know? So that was the push towards me just trying to find other people who are going through the same thing and then lending my voice to the community. Yeah. So what led you to start the online magazine? Let's start with that one. Okay. So originally I had an allergy blog called Allergy Girl Eats Mm -hmm. and that was just me kind of talking about what it's like to be an adult with food allergies and I would share my travels, I would share some of the recipes that I just had, you know, on hand. Those were my go-tos that I felt like other people, if they were in need of something easy to cook, they could try them out. But there's so many food bloggers now, like in the allergy land, that I feel like I step back because <laughs> I like to cook, but I'm not, you know, like a chef or extremely passionate about it. But I shared recipes. I think that's a good way in. And I had Allergy Girl Eats for five years. And I got to a point where I felt like I had shared everything that I needed to share. And that I didn't know what I wanted to talk about anymore. And I got to a point where I personally didn't want to share my story as much anymore. I wanted to take a step back and live a little bit more of a private life. Because originally, I was very private and very shy but I, I seem to have blossomed a little bit when I came into the allergy world. But I, I felt like I was, I was done sharing. I think you hit a point where you're like, I'm done sharing. Not because I don't want to help other people, but because I think I need to help myself and say it's time to step back. Because you're just taking pictures of everything to put on your blog and you're not actually living or experiencing what you're taking pictures of. And I felt like there was a shift in my life where I wasn't living my life. You were blogging your life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I thought, well, that's not that's not a healthy place to be. This was supposed to be a passion project. This was supposed to help other people and help you. And now you're in kind of a weird place and that's yeah. not healthy. And also there's a pandemic going on. So you can kind of figure out what's going on in your life. It starts out as therapy else. for you and turns into something you need therapy for, right? <laughs> exactly. No, it's so yeah. true. At the beginning, it's like, it's this thing. It's like finding a fine balance, right? So Yeah, so I also um, had always been friends with Shala, and she also shared her journey as an allergy mom on a blog. Uh, She's My Berkeley Kitchen on Instagram, and her blog's called My Berkeley Kitchen. And we were always friends, and I was telling her a little bit what was going on with me, and she shared the same with her. And we also connected in terms of what we felt we wanted to see more of in the allergy sphere. And we thought, let's let's take a stab at it. Let's start Zestful and see where we go because we both didn't want to leave advocating for food allergies, but we both didn't feel like our blogs were somewhere we wanted to be at anymore. Yeah. So and Zestful. I mean, the, the, my first reaction was what is an online magazine? And I clicked onto it and I was blown away. It is so beautiful. 
so clean and yet so visual and it's just awesome. So if you haven't been on Zestful yet, go because it is amazing. Like where's the, all the graphic design and style sense coming from? Is that you or is that her? Um, It's both of us, but we work with a graphic designer who uh, has been working with me and with my husband's old company for many years now. So we talked to her about designing an aesthetic for our magazine. We said we wanted it fresh. We wanted it kind of fun and approachable and really show the the zest in life. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's gorgeous. So kudos to all three of you um, because it's really, really pretty. So you've got the online magazine going, you've got the podcast going, you, and you work in concert with a medical doctor as a co-host, right? To talk about yeah. allergies, which is pretty amazing. I can't tell you the number of times I know you've listened to some of the episodes, but the number of times I've been like, I'm not a doctor. So, I mean, that would be amazing to have as a co-host. That must be a lot of yeah. fun. It's awesome. I mean, I feel like half of the time the episode just becomes about like my problem. <laughs> like, well, actually, this happens to me. And oh, actually, what about this? So it's it's great. And I also like to say that I have a an allergist on speed dial. <laughs> I can just text her and be like, what is this thing that is showing up on my arm? Is it a rash? Is it a hive? <laughs> you know, help me. Or can I eat this? What about this? I've never heard of this food. <laughs> so it's been kind of fun to have her and she's also become a really good friend but I think for me it was like yeah I'm not an allergist but I want to talk about these things and so it's a great perspective for me to have this conversation with an allergist outside of our community you know because I feel like you and I could talk about things but we're not necessarily informed to talk about these things and for other people to hear us talk about them and feel like they can take that as advice but when you have an allergist you can talk to them about that and What's also interesting is that Pyle, so Dr. Gupta, my co-host, she said that having these conversations with her has helped her also as a doctor because she doesn't have that much time when she's with her patients to go into more details, you know, to continue that conversation because you've got 15 minutes with your doctor. So you have to get what you need to get to. But to have these longer continued conversations, she learns so much more and she can treat her patients in a different way because she's heard these different stories, which she wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. For, oh, I can totally see that. I had uh, Dr. Kim from UNC on, I don't know what episode number ago, but, uh, and he turned out to be a food allergy dad, but after he was a food allergy allergist and he's like, it makes me such a better doctor because I've got a new perspective, right? Coming from a, coming from a place of really, truly empathy, you know, yeah, it it's makes true. it. Food allergies are, a I say they're a lifestyle diagnosis, right? Because it's like, sure, you can eliminate all of the things from your diet, but that's not where it stops. Food is everywhere. And everywhere. You're going to encounter it in the strangest places and you need to figure out how to deal with that. Yeah. I mean, for me, the thing that's the most impactful is that it's just exhausting to have to deal with all the time. It's like you, there's no break, right? There's no time. There's no cheat meal. There's no, you know, Oh, today we're not going to think about this today. We're just going to run through the buffet and eat everything that we've ever wanted. No, it doesn't work like that. Right. There's just never a break. Right. Like even the, Oh, let's just go for a walk or a hike. And it's like, okay, so we're going to go out for four hours. I should probably eat something or pack something because I know that you'll just grab something on the road. 
but that's not very possible for me. And if I just grab something on the road, it's going to be like gummy bears right? something like that. Yeah. Or grab something on the road means reading a lot of labels. On the topic of labels, you're living in Germany. I want to dig into this because you moved to Germany, not speaking German. Could you have chosen a more challenging language to move into or like, <laughs> right? What using our alphabet? Yes. <laughs> while using our alphabet. Good point. How did that go? Like, how did you do that? Well, I moved for love. So that's, I mean, there you go. Why move? Because your heart's taking you there. I love it. Um, and I moved to Berlin, which is quite an English-speaking town. Actually, if you go into a coffee shop, like one of these kind of hipster coffee shops, you go in and you just speak English because the barista probably doesn't speak German. <laughs> so it's Seriously? very international. Yeah, totally. My husband used to laugh when I would like try so hard to speak German to everyone. He's like, you know, they're probably Australian, right? <laughs> like, don't even bother. I'm like, yes, but I have to try. He's like, yeah, but you two guys, you both sound so silly together because you barely speak German. You're trying to have a conversation. You're both English speakers. I was like, okay, I get you. How's your Uh, German now? It's good. Yeah. I mean, it's not great. I write probably at like a junior kindergarten level, (laughs) (laughs) but I can, I can have a conversation. I can understand. I can watch TV like that's fine I think for me I'm not planning on writing much in German I can read it to a certain extent um and I can have a conversation but yeah you can watch the news you can see a tv show whatever you can go yeah and I can like hang out with my in-laws for three days only in German there you go yeah so that was I think that was like the tipping point where I was like okay I'm okay with this language now yeah that's a that's a big one I had um when my kids were younger I had au pairs um which is a great program by the way if anybody's ever interested let me know but uh the first one was from the Czech Republic Jana she's amazing but didn't speak great English and part of the joy of that was kind of learning each other right and then uh Lucas came from Germany he came from Hamburg and his English was perfect, right? And so I was like, wait a minute, how am I supposed to teach you anything? <laughs> but he's like, yeah, I mean, he's like, everybody's, everybody's English is like this. Yeah, it's true. Everyone's got really good English. Yeah. <laughs> well, everyone in the younger generations, because like if you go to the post office or sometimes the grocery store, they don't speak any English. Like that was for me, I was like, oh my God, no one speaks English at the grocery store shoot yeah (laughs) and that's a big one right so was your first set of vocabulary words all food-based um I'm not sure I think I was so focused on trying to have a conversation the food didn't even come into my head also I live in Germany which is part of the EU and a lot of packaging has multiple language except for English actually most packages don't have English but I speak French so I would just find uh, pack, like packaging that had French and I would just read the French labels. So that's kind of how I got through it because at that point we didn't have, you know, this fancy um, Google Translate where you can just hold your phone and it translates for you, like the picture. So I had to just navigate the labels that had French. Wow, that's pretty crazy. So you're trilingual. I love it. Americans take yeah. note. 
<laughs> so you mentioned that in, in Germany, people aren't quite as knowledgeable about food allergies as they are other places in the EU here. I mean, people think that, well, within the food allergy community, I guess I should say that Europe is so much further ahead. Um, you're more enlightened or however you want to put that about food allergies. So it's interesting to hear you say that Germany's maybe not quite so much. How does that go? Yeah, so Germany, I mean, they're great when you kind of explain what food allergies are. And it's become a lot bigger. So when I first moved here, it was, I felt like every time I had the food allergy conversation, it was like a new thing for the person I was talking to. Um, but they have, so at restaurants, they made it law that you need to mark the top 14 allergens in your menu. Right. So you have to say like, if you just have like whatever the food name is, then you have one, J, four, whatever. And that will refer to, food allergens and also they have a bunch of different things like I think a, uh what is it like thickeners or chemical stuff that's in food so they also have to mark certain chemicals I'm not 100% sure what they are like color for instance if there's coloring yeah. in the food they have to mark that uh so once they had to do that in menus the conversation about food allergies started Whereas before, that wasn't something that like a person would talk to you about. But the problem is, is that they'll be like, oh, we have the allergens marked on the menu. Right. I'm like, mm, yes, but you guys really like sunflower oil. <laughs> this is a big problem. Yeah. This is my, this is one of my biggest frustrations in restaurants um, is when I go in and say, hey, we need to talk about food allergies and here's the gluten menu. And I'm like, no, I can eat, I can eat gluten. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Right. But that's that becomes a crutch to use your word from earlier, right? We, this is how we're trained to deal with food allergies. If it's not on this menu, we don't know what to do. Yeah, totally. And I'm like, totally. even if they've got a top eight, it probably doesn't take into account cross-contamination for sure. It doesn't have pork on it. Right. This is, look, this is the reason Star exists. You know, this, it's just such a pet <laughs> peeve point for me, right? Those menus and what happens yeah. when you have an allergen outside of them. Yeah, it's true. It's I always tell people like, do not trust the allergy menu. I'm sorry. But you know, that was made for the for the law, right? So they just put in the numbers, but it's not reflecting what's actually going on in the kitchen today. Who knows who made this menu and who knows how yeah. old that menu is. So do not rely on it. You need to always have that conversation, especially in places like Europe where we don't have like so England is a different country when you talk about food allergies because they're much more aware of it but I'm talking about Europe like the continent Europe so uh my experience really just to put out there what countries I've been to so kind of blanket statement is I've been to like Denmark France Italy Czech Republic uh Austria Germany so those are the places that I know the best uh and I know that you need to have that conversation because they don't think about what goes into what, you know, like for instance, olives. So I'm talking from a sunflower allergy sure. perspective or even soy is a lot of the times, like what things are packed in. They don't think about that. So you need mm -hmm. to be like, yeah, you really can't put olives on my salad unless you know it's 100% packed in olive oil. Because if not, it's probably packed in sunflower oil and I cannot have that. So you have to have that conversation because they don't think that many steps ahead. Yeah, no, I hear that. Everything, uh, all those details are so important 
And yet it feels like it's so difficult to get that point across, you know, in conversation. Frustrating. So I know you feel kind of the same way that I do, that you end up talking about food allergies, you know, all the time, right? How do you make sure that you, you not only are a whole human, but get to behave that way and other people don't just treat you as like, oh yeah, there's the food allergy person, right? How do you kind of get that, not out of your persona or out of your, but so that it doesn't become your whole identity? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's, I think, something that I still struggle with, you know, I don't want to be seen as the girl that is food allergies, which is a little bit challenging when you have an online magazine and a podcast, and that's basically all you do. Yep. So people are like, oh, yeah, Courtney, she, you know, she's a food allergy person. It's like, e- yeah, okay, I am because I also do that professionally. But I think that it's really about, you know, finding a way to manage your food allergies and being really comfortable with the way that you manage your food allergies and then not letting that be the thing that's driving whatever you decide to do. So if you know that you've got this, like, okay, I know this is what I need to do to feel comfortable with whatever activity we're going to go do. If it's done, it's prepared, then you don't have to think about it. And you, you know, you have to show people that you've got this, you can manage it. They don't need to also worry about you. I mean, you would like to have people know that this my epinephrine is there. So please just in case, but you don't want to, I always like to steer the conversation away from food allergies when I feel like it's not actually going to be that interesting for people, you know, for you sure. also just have to gauge it. Like we don't have to talk about food allergies. Trust me. It's not that interesting. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's literally all we end up talking about. Right. But yeah, I had a, I had an interesting experience this weekend Oftentimes people will, um, even unintentionally kind of, I end up feeling a bit like a burden, right? And this weekend I, I was at a birthday party and I texted the gentleman who was going to be grilling because there was going to be sausages, can't have them because pork and burgers. And I was like, Hey, if you don't mind, like, could we segregate the burgers? Like, can we at least make mine first or, you know, something he was like, and this is so shocking to me. He goes, I already have you covered. He said, I have separate sets of utensils. The, I already know how big the grill is. The burgers will be on this side. The sausages will be on this side. Like I have separate things. I'm bringing utensils for you. I was like, what? Really? <laughs> like someone who's a friend, but not like, soup, you know, they don't live with me right? I was so shocked, like in a good way, right? And then his wife had brought baked beans and literally on her phone proactively comes up to me. She's like, here's the label for the baked beans. I made sure to get the ones with only beef in them. There's no, and I was like, what is happening? You know, it was just so shocking to me to have such a intentional, proactive, let's keep Shandy safe thing. I don't, I don't know that it's really ever happened that way before. That's pretty amazing. Right. And for it not to be like family or like, right. Just let's have a birthday party and we know Shandy's coming. It was so cool. That's, I think that's super awesome. And I think, you know, part of that is probably that you're just showing your friends, like, 
it's super easy to manage my food allergens. Like you don't have to freak out. It's actually quite easy. Here are the steps. And if you show people the steps over and over and over again, so you're consistent about how you do it. And I think that's important is to be consistent. But if you're consistent about it and they go, oh, I can do that too. That's actually not so hard. Then I think people are really happy to cater to us because they know that they can because they feel confident in watching you do it. So I think it's very much like a child and a parent, but modeling, you know, modeling behavior and showing people like, okay, they're really hard sometimes. And yeah, they can be really scary, but look, this is how you manage them. This is how you get through the day, every day, after every day and not having an allergic reaction. Yeah, and it was just the coolest thing. I was just so grateful for it, you know? It was neat. It's weird to feel taken care of too in the food totally. allergy sphere, right? Like where you're like, yeah. someone just totally took care of me. That's weird. <laughs> I'm used it, to it being was- like back up against the wall, ready to dig out labels from the garbage can. You don't know how to react sometimes. It's like, thank you for being so caring. Right. I mean, it just is never to that degree without me poking and prodding at it, right? I was just so taken aback in a good way, right? It was great. I loved it. So, all right, let's talk back about, let's get back to you. I was just so surprised. It really took me, you know, it it shocked me in case you can't tell. Um, But let's talk about this whole getting together thing and traveling. And you mentioned like 27 countries or whatever that you've already been to in Europe and, and your experiences there. I know it wasn't 27, but I don't know what the number was. So I picked that. What are your tips for people traveling to Europe now that things are starting to, you know, open back up again? What would you tell, you know, U.S. and Canada travelers with food allergies coming over there? I would tell them it's totally doable. Like, you can always find a way. Uh, Some things that I like to say is maybe if you're a little bit nervous, think about staying in a place with a kitchen so that you can cook at least one of your meals a day so that you know that you have like a big hearty meal in case you're not able to speak the language or you're just not 100% comfortable eating out at home or, you know, internationally, because not all of us eat out all the time. Um, Bring an allergy card. That is like my 100%. I will not go anywhere without at least a stack of allergy cards because that starts the conversation. I think people can talk about food allergies and we have all of these you know, diets and different preferences that people have. But the moment you bring an allergy card, they'll stop and they'll try and have a conversation with you and bring it in their native language as well as in English, because they really appreciate when you've gone that, that extra step and brought it in their language so you can try and communicate it with them. I think that it's, it's you know, it's broken a lot of ice I can you say it's broken ice with a waiter but I think it's it it warms the conversation and you feel a little bit more taken care of or you see their face and you're like um let's go somewhere else you know it's a it's a good tell whether they're going to be able to take care of you or they're just gonna not um the other thing about Europe if you can don't go to any of the big touristy restaurants Mm. so any of the restaurants and big tourist spots don't go there if you want to eat out really there there's a lot of ready-made food it's very busy 
Um, and they just don't take the time to have that conversation with you because they're used to tourists and they don't get, the waiters don't get treated that nicely sometimes from tourists. So I think if you can go off the beaten track a little bit, you might have a little bit of a harder time with language, but at least you'll be taken care of better. And again, if you have your translated card, I think it will start that conversation and Google translate on your phone is so good. Super good. Also try and get data package because that will be your lifesaver. Yeah. So that's a great tip, whether you've got food allergies or not, right? Go off the beaten path. Don't go to the big touristy restaurants. You might have an issue with language, but use the Google Translate. What would be your other European travel tips? I know everybody's super excited to get back to being able to go places, right? So what would you say to people without, you know, food allergies or not? What are your good European travel tips these days? My favorite thing is just to explore a city. You know, you just kind of drop yourself and then walk and then see the city that way. And then like your first day there, just walk as much as you can. That'll kind of give you a good footing. And then you can decide, okay, tomorrow we're going to take this section again. Or you walk by a really cool museum and you're like, let's go there. So I personally like to see a city by foot. And I love Airbnb tours. (laughs) I don't even know what that is. What's an Airbnb tour? Oh my gosh. Okay. So Airbnb has these things where you have local hosts. So you have people who are local and they host different tours depending on what their deal is. So we were in Copenhagen and we did a Kierkegaard tour. So it was like a walking tour through the city where you saw different areas of where Kierkegaard studied or lived. And you learned a little bit about him and a little bit about his the history of the city at the time that he was alive. And then we took like a little stop and had a coffee and we learned a little bit more about his writing. So it's just, or we did one in South Africa where it was with um, a guy who took us through Cape Town and talked to us about the history of the townships and the, you know, the segregation that happened in South Africa. Uh, And he had experienced it himself. He had been moved out of different areas because of the color of his skin. So you, you hear these people talk about the city from their like direct connection. And it's amazing. They're so cool. And actually, and food allergy tip, if you do a local tour with someone, you can get them to help you figure out how to speak to people about food allergies, you know, so you can ask them, oh, so uh, at the end of the tour, you can hang around and be creepy and then just ask, you know, I have food allergies and I was just wondering, what do you think the best place to eat is that will cater to this? Uh, this is my allergy card. Do you think someone will understand it? Can you give That's me a, a really tip on one. like culturally, how do I present this to a waiter? So you can get a little bit more of an insight with in that actual culture from this tour guide. He's, the dog's going crazy in the corner. So sorry for muting in and out, but I love that. I think that's such a great idea. Culturally, I mean, you can really kind of step in it accidentally um, in so many different ways. And certainly this isn't one that you want to do that. So I love that idea of taking the allergy card and asking the the tour guide. And I had no idea Airbnb had tours. So that's pretty cool. Um, Tell everybody where they can find you online for Zestful, for the Itch podcast, for Courtney as the human without food allergies. Courtney is a human without food allergies. Is still allergy girl eats. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not abandoning that much. Um, but yeah, I guess if you want more about me personally, 
I'm still on Instagram, uh, Allergy Girl Eats, or I'm on Facebook. I started a Facebook page. I don't know. Apparently, I do kind of miss blogging uh, <laughs> because I started a Facebook page, but it's just not much. It's just Courtney Kwong-Hing. Um, and then Zestful is The Zestful on social media. So it's The Zestful on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, LinkedIn. And then our website is www.thezestful.com. And then I have The Itch Podcast. You can hear that podcast uh, anywhere you get your podcasts. And we're also on social media as The Itch Podcast. Perfect. I love it. So as you know, I like to wrap all these episodes up with my favorite torture game, uh, Two Truths and a Lie. So Courtney, you're going to give us three facts about yourself. Don't reveal the one that's not a fact. Listeners, if you want to know which one's not true, come talk to us in the comments on social media or on your favorite podcast platform. Courtney, what are your two truths and a lie? I was practicing practicing this all day so that you could (laughs) not tell which one was the lie. (laughs) All right, here we go. Now I got all nervous because I'm like, shoot, I'm going to mess this up. A lot of pressure. Yeah, it is. All right, ready for it? So I have watched all six seasons of The Sopranos three times. I have collected a fridge magnet of every place I visited since I was 13. Wow. I was almost murdered on the Isle of Wight. Those are good ones. I love it. Well, Courtney, thank you so much for being here. It's been an absolute pleasure. I love having you. Everybody go listen to the Itch podcast right after you're done with Shandyland and go visit thezestful.com. It is truly amazingly gorgeous. So thank you for putting that together and for providing such great information. Everybody, this has been the Shandyland Podcast. As always, thank you so much for sticking around and we'll talk to you soon.